In May 2017, employees of the National Health Service in Great Britain signed onto their computers and were greeted with a new screen. Instead of opening agency software, the computers instead opened to a red screen demanding a payment of $300 in Bitcoin. The entire NHS system had come under attack from ransomware. By the time it was resolved, over 19,000 medical appointments had to be canceled, and 16 hospitals had to at least partially shut down some services. One hospital was even forced to cancel all non-emergency operations, as access to patient records and medical information had been drastically affected. The NHS would end up spending almost $150 million to clean up this mess and to complete system upgrades to make sure this would not happen again. This particular ransomware strain would be given the name WannaCry. Although the British NHS would be the most critical victim of the WannaCry outbreak, it was far from the only victim. Over 1,000 computers at the Russian Interior Ministry became affected, and several utilities in Spain were forced to shut down temporarily. In all, an estimated 300,000 computers across 74 countries became victims. While ransomware has been around since at least 1989, it has become one of the most prominent threats in the past decade, primarily due to easier ways to collect the ransom. At the beginning of the decade, gift cards were used because the card number could be sent over the internet and it would become difficult to track it. More recently, Bitcoin and other similar cryptocurrencies have become the payment method of choice for ransomware, since they have even higher levels of anonymity and the victim can purchase it without needing to leave the house. Ransomware is now considered to be one of the top cybersecurity threats today. So with that in mind, on today's show, we are going to discuss the subject, How to Protect Yourself from Ransomware. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Welcome back to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. My first experience with ransomware was almost 10 years ago, over a year before I had even opened my computer support business. It started with a phone call from a friend who told me that the FBI had locked his computer due to illegal downloads of files. He told me that he wouldn't even have the slightest clue how to download files and due to his age and my previous experiences assisting him with his email and basic internet use, I absolutely believed him. While I had not heard of ransomware at this point, I was immediately suspicious. Beyond believing that this man would have no idea how to set up torrenting to do illegal downloads of files or software, I seriously doubted that the FBI would engage in locking computers, even if the owner was suspected of a crime. And even if the FBI did begin a campaign to shut down those computer systems, they certainly couldn't issue fines without a conviction in court. And finally, asking people to go to a grocery store or a convenience store to pay the fine via a money pack card is not a typical policy for America's top law enforcement agency. 
So after a quick Google search confirmed that this was a scam, I set about attempting to restore his files. Fortunately, this was one of the easy ones to remove. It didn't encrypt the files, it just locked up the web browser window. All of his files were still there once I got out of the web browser. Unfortunately, many victims of ransomware aren't so lucky. Occasionally, cryptographers are able to figure out the decryption key for a particular type of ransomware, but often, without backup copies of your files, the only way to have a chance of getting your files back is to pay the ransom. And I say a chance, because sometimes the criminals won't bother actually creating or testing a decryption program, so you could end up paying the ransom and still not get your files back. So with that in mind, it's important to do two things. First, take the right steps to reduce the chances that you get ransomware. We'll talk about those steps in a minute. But second, back up your data so that you don't even need to think about paying the ransom. We'll cover backing up your files in depth in a future episode. But for now, it's important to make sure that you always have a way to recover multiple copies of your files. For example, some people will just sync their files automatically to an online storage solution, something like Google Drive. However, not all of these will give you access to past versions of your files. If ransomware encrypts your files, and then those encrypted files get synced to the online storage solution, your backup plan just became useless. So it is important to check that you not only have access to the current versions of your files, but also to previous versions. Some online backup solutions will give you access to past versions, but not all of them will. So make sure you know whether or not you can get to the unencrypted versions of files in the event that the encrypted ones get synced. If your online solution doesn't give you access to alternate versions, you can switch to one that does, or you can make occasional backups of your files onto a flash drive or an external hard drive. Just make sure that you do have a way to get to your files that can't also end up encrypted. So now that we've discussed backups, let's look at some steps you can take to reduce the chance of becoming infected with ransomware. First and most importantly, use an antivirus program on your computer. Hopefully you know this by now, but the fact is that for whatever reason they may have, many people still do not follow this important step. An antivirus program will scan your computer for signs of infection, and it will also monitor your internet traffic to help keep anything suspicious from infecting your machine. Traditionally, antivirus software would be programmed with information about known threats, known as signatures, and then it would scan your internet traffic and your files and compare everything to the signatures that it knows. And this is still the easiest and the most effective way to protect you against known threats. However, modern antivirus software has also stepped up its game, working to protect you against even the newest threats. Each company's goal is to get their software to the point where it could recognize that you have been infected even if you are the first person who has become infected with that particular virus. To accomplish this, they will look for files and activity that appear suspicious even if it doesn't match any of the signatures of known malicious files. There are plenty of free antivirus programs available. 
In fact, Windows now comes with its own antivirus built into the operating system. However, I prefer to go to a company that specializes in malware detection and prevention, rather than relying on the one built into Windows. If you would like to see my recommendation for antivirus software, you can see it at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com recommendations. However, regardless of whether you are using a free or a paid antivirus program, it's important to make sure that it is updating those signatures regularly. Using signatures is still the best way for your antivirus software to detect known malicious activity. Your antivirus should update its signatures automatically, but it's still a good idea to check once in a while. While the process for checking will vary from software to software, most will have a setting that can tell you the date it last downloaded an update, or a history log that will show you all activity, including updates to the signatures. If the signatures are more than 24 hours old, you probably need to figure out why it's not updating. But updating your antivirus software isn't enough by itself. The second step is to keep your other software up to date as well. The WannaCry ransomware that I discussed at the beginning could not affect up-to-date systems. A patch fixing a Windows issue that the ransomware exploited had already been released. So if you kept your systems up to date, you were protected from this ransomware. Many other attacks also exploit security issues found in operating systems, web browsers, and other software. Some do use issues that no one has discovered yet, but many use issues that have already been found and fixed. When companies issue patches for their software, they will also issue statements describing exactly what they found and fixed in those patches. Often, attackers are able to either use the information provided in these reports or to reverse-engineer the patch in order to discover and then exploit the flaw. I realize it's not much fun when you turn on your computer and you're greeted with a blue Installing Update screen. And I'm not saying that you have to drop everything and install updates the moment the alert pops up on your screen the first time. But if you've been ignoring updates for months on end, it's definitely possible that there's an exploitable vulnerability on your system. So beyond keeping your antivirus and your software up to date, you also need to watch out for malicious files and links. While it is technically possible that ransomware could end up on your system with no notice, it usually requires some amount of active intervention by the user. What are some of these actions that can leave you vulnerable to ransomware? One common method is to send a file by email, often with a message that convinces you that you need to download it. Imagine you receive an email from FedEx stating that a delivery attempt was made. Because you don't remember making a purchase and you're not expecting a package from anyone, you immediately open the attachment to find out where this package that must be signed for originated. But unfortunately, that attachment is what installs the ransomware on your computer. Another way it could get on your computer is through a malicious link. Rather than trying to conduct a phishing campaign, an attacker could send you to a page that downloads a ransomware file. A link sent by email is the most likely source, but this could also be a page that comes up in an internet search. 
While Google and other search engines do their best to only show legitimate sites, no algorithm is going to be perfect. And finally, malicious flash drives are another way that ransomware can be spread. If someone finds a flash drive, their first reaction might be to plug it into their computer in order to see if they can find the owner. But a program can be set up on a flash drive so it automatically executes when it's plugged in. In fact, the Stuxnet worm that destroyed nuclear equipment in Iran was first distributed using USB flash drives. So if you find a flash drive sitting around somewhere, don't plug it in. If it's found at a company, give it to the IT department. Otherwise, you may want to consider turning it over to a lost and found or to the police. Like most threats, ransomware is most common on Windows computers, primarily because Windows is used on so many devices. However, this problem does affect more than just Windows devices. There have been a number of apps that will install ransomware on your mobile devices, too. Many of these apps will masquerade as popular apps, but instead of being the app you're looking for, they'll install the ransomware on your phone or your tablet. To combat this, make sure you only install apps from the Apple App Store on iOS or the Google Play Store on Android. Fortunately, Apple does not allow the installation of apps that aren't approved and on the App Store, and they do have a comprehensive review process for apps. But despite this, malicious apps do still manage to sneak into the store occasionally. On the other hand, Android does permit installing apps that are not a part of the Google Play Store, but there's almost no reason to do it. Any legitimate app is going to make sure that it is listed in Android's official App Store. If a website wants you to download an app outside of the Google Play Store, it's likely taking you to a counterfeit version of that app. And just like in the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store does also occasionally list malicious apps accidentally. Google's review process has gotten better over time, but it still seems to be less stringent than Apple's. And as a result, Google makes more frequent announcements regarding removal of apps that it's found to be malicious. So how can you spot these malicious apps, either on the Apple or the Android Store? First, check out the description for the app. Does the description seem to have been written by someone with a firm grasp of the English language? If it uses broken English or strange phrasing that might indicate someone used Google Translate, it's a reason to be suspicious. Second, look for the contact email for the app's developer. If no email is listed, or if it uses a free email service like Gmail or Yahoo, it's another sign that the app may be questionable, especially if the app is coming from a large company. And third, look at the permissions the app requests. Do the permissions seem appropriate for what the app claims to do? If the app seems to be asking for permissions that go far beyond what it claims to do, then you have reason to be suspicious as well. By using this three-step approach, you will be well on your way to spotting fake or malicious apps. But no matter how careful you are, you could still be exposed to ransomware. You might accidentally click on an email link that downloads a malicious payload, or you could visit a legitimate site that was compromised 
and it's now infecting all of its visitors. If you want to save yourself from an expensive repair bill in the event you do get hit with ransomware, you can set up a flash drive that will allow you to bypass the ransomware and restore your computer. If you would like my recommendations for this type of software, visit my recommendations page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com recommendations. And I will also link to instructions on how to get it set up in the show notes page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com episode 10. And as a final comment, never, ever pay the ransom. There may be times when paying seems like it would be easier than any other option. However, it's important to remember a few things. First, there's no guarantee that the ransomware will actually restore your access after you pay. These people are already doing illegal activity, so why would they care if you actually regain access to your files once you've paid the money? Second, Paying the ransom is what makes this type of operation possible. If no one paid ransoms, this method of attack would cease to be profitable for the scammers. The fact that people pay is what encourages more people to engage in this type of activity. And third, there's no guarantee that the ransomware will actually be removed from your computer. In fact, if I were developing this type of scam, I would leave the files on the systems of those who paid and then reactivate it after three to six more months. Since I know this person is willing to pay, why not try scamming them again and again until they finally decide to stop paying? Now, I don't know that any forms of ransomware actually do this, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if someone has thought of it. So as I mentioned earlier, Backing up your files is the best way to make sure that you can recover them in case you do fall victim to ransomware. You'll save money on the ransom, and you'll make sure that you still have access to your files. So that's all for today. Thanks for joining us, and make plans to join us right back here next week when we will discuss how to protect yourself from phishing scams. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. For more information on today's topic and a transcription of this episode, check out the show notes page, which is linked in the description. If you enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, we would also appreciate it if you could take the time to rate and review the show. It really does help us get noticed. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Please do not take any action on your computer, phone, or other device unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.